Everybody doing all right this morning? <laughs> it's very convincing. Thanks, guys. <laughs> so, all right, there you go. It's pretty bad if the nine o'clock out does you guys. I'm just saying, but that's okay. We'll move on. If you're new to the church, really, really glad you're here. We've been working through a, a series of very, very short books of the Bible. Um, first, second, and third John. We're on third John today. Been working through these, and um, if you've been with us, very, very practical, straightforward. Second and third John are very, very short. In fact, third John, fun fact, is the shortest book of the entire Bible. It's about 250 words, very, very short. But it's going to be interesting today how much we can pull from just a very, very short part of the Bible. One of those books of the Bible you can easily just kind of skim over and, and think that there's not much value in it, but we'll see today. It's just crazy. Every single word of this book has value, and it's interesting to see how much we can pull out. Last week, we were talking about this. Again, we were talking about very, very simple stuff. We talked about obedience, right? Jesus even says in the Gospel of John that if you love me, you'll be obedient. You'll do what I tell you to do, right? We talked about spotting heresy. That's teaching that doesn't align with the word of God. You know, like people who say God wants them to have like their seventh Lear jet and have hundreds of millions of dollars and not talking about anyone in particular, but you know, people like that, that could be classified as heretical teachers that we're supposed to identify that and stay away from that kind of teaching. And um, we also talked about that we're to have face-to-face -face interactions, right? Not to hide behind texting or messenger or emails, but that if it's possible that we should have face-to-face interactions, especially with serious conversations. Okay, this week we're going to talk about this. Very, very simple stuff, short book of the Bible. We'll get through it real quick, and it's a very, very interesting short book, uh, but we're going to kind of hit on this a little bit. We're going to talk about stewardship. Basically, that's how do we handle things like our time, our money, our health, our talents and abilities that God has given us. How do we handle these things? How do we steward what God has allowed us to kind of manage for a time, right? What are we doing with that stuff? And we'll come back, we'll circle back around kind of that idea at the very, very end. So if you have a Bible, we're in the third to the last book of the Bible, the shortest book of the Bible right before Jude and Revelation. If you came in these doors, you should have got a handout. It has everything I'm gonna say will be in that handout. Everything will be on the screens. If you have the Experience Community app, click on service times and sermon notes. I think that's the order. Everything should be there, all the scripture and all that jazz, okay? All right, hope everyone's doing okay. We're gonna pray. We're gonna jump into this. I'm gonna botch some names. That'll be fun. And um, we'll see where the Lord takes us, okay? All right? Okay, all right. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. We just wanna tell you thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for this comfortable room that we're sitting in. Thank you, God, that we live in a nation where we have the freedom and, and, the, and the opportunity to talk about the word, God, and to teach without fear of, of persecution or, or people shutting us down. Thank you, God, for that liberty and that freedom. Lord, we pray, God, that you just keep your hand on this church today, that you open up our eyes and our ears, God, and that you let, let us learn something from your word, and we pray that we're sharpened by it and that you're honored by our study of it. God, we also pray for every, every church in our community, that you bless the pastors and leadership and help them to grow and be healthy. God, we pray for Endure Athletics and all the nonprofits that we're working with, God, especially though Endure that we're working with this month. And um, we pray for our upcoming worship night, Lord, that that blesses this community and blesses the businesses down downtown. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God. Be with me as I teach. And um, Lord, I just pray that everything we do makes you proud, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Okay, John is going to be speaking, and uh, we'll get into this very short letter, and we'll see what we can get from it, okay? John says, the elder to my friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way and you're in good health, just as your whole life is going well. For I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity to the truth, how you're walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this, that to hear my children are walking in truth. Now, there's going to be three people that this very short letter is going to focus on. We just heard about the first one, a guy named Gaius. He is going to be the recipient of the letter, okay? He's the one receiving the letter. The next one, whose name rhymes with apostrophes, diatrophies, it's hard for me to say, so we're going to call him Dio, right? And for all you metal fans out there, there you go. Dio, the one causing the problems, he's going to be a focus of this. And then the third individual is going to be a guy called Demetrius, who is more than likely the carrier of the letter and a traveling missionary, okay, a speaker. Now, very, very little is known about these three individuals. What we do know is that, uh, that John really liked two of them, didn't really care for one of them, and that their names were extremely common. So there was a lot of Gaiuses, there were a lot of these Dio guys, there was a lot of Demetriuses running around. And so this could have been a lot of different people. We know very little about him. Again, what we do know is John thought a lot about Gaius. And like 2 John, when it says that they have this relationship that's based or grounded in the truth, their mutual love of Jesus Christ has brought these two men into a very deep friendship, right? They really care for each other. And John wished Gaius prosperity. Now listen, the word prosperity has been hijacked by a lot of clowns that pretend to be pastors that have become really famous and rich, right? And the prosperity gospel is poor theology. That's not something that we believe in, or at least if you read the Bible, you shouldn't believe in. But the word prosperous or prosperity is not a bad word. We can prosper in more than just finances. We can prosper in our family life. We can prosper in our health. And yes, we can even prosper financially. Now, here's the thing. Though the prosperity gospel is too far one way, the poverty gospel is too far the other way. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean we can't be successful. The only problem is when success takes priority over your relationship with God and your family and your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. There's nothing wrong with being successful. Nothing wrong with having nice things. In fact, there was a rich man named Joseph of Arimathea that if it wasn't for Joseph, we wouldn't have had a place to bury Jesus Christ. So a rich man played a very integral part and the burial of Jesus Christ. So there's nothing wrong with being successful. We don't need to demonize people who are successful. You know where most of that comes from? Envy. And that's a 10 commandment that we're not supposed to break, okay? So there's nothing wrong with being successful as long as our priorities are kept in the right order, all right? But more importantly than health, more important than success, John says, I have no greater joy but to learn that you're walking in the truth. I like what he says, that you have fidelity to the truth, right? That you're sticking close to the truth. So more important than our health, more important than our success is the condition of our soul. We have a tendency as Christians a lot to pray for a lot of temporary things and we forget about the eternal things. 
And Jesus actually talked about this in the gospel, right? If you ever heard the story, Jesus walks up to a, a paralytic man lying on a bed. He needs to be physically healed. Jesus walks up, the crowd's around him, they're ready, right? They're salivating, they're gonna see the miracle. And Jesus walks up and he says, man, your sins are forgiven. And everyone's like, what the heck? That's not what we wanted to see. And Jesus looked at all the people and he said, what is more important, his eternal soul or his temporary body, right? And the answer is his eternal soul. That's why first and foremost, Jesus wants to save our souls. But Jesus has a tendency to get a little sassy in the gospel. So he says, hey, and get up, get up and walk away too, right? So I'm gonna heal your body as well just to shut up the crowd. So Jesus kind of goes the extra mile in that case, but we learn the soul is the most important thing. But what does it mean to walk in truth? Well, to walk in truth, you have to do two things, right? It's a little bit more complicated than that, but there's two kind of overarching things. The first one is we have to love God, right? And follow his commands. We show God that we love him by our obedience. Back to what Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. So what are the commands of God? Well, we get those in multiple places throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, a good place to read about the commands of God is where we get the 10 commandments in Exodus 20. When you get into the New Testament, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's good to read those to see the teachings of Christ, but it doesn't in there either. We have Paul and James and John and Peter and the other contributors of the New Testament to give us the doctrine of Christianity, how to live out the things of Christ and further instruction on how to be Christians. That is loving God. And then the second thing we must do is we must love people in a way that aligns with the word of God, okay? So that's walking in truth. Loving God, showing your obedience to him and loving those around us, all right? Next part. Dear friend, you are acting faithfully in whatever you do for the brothers and sisters, especially when they are strangers. They have testified to your love before the church. You will do, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God since they set out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from pagans. Therefore, we ought to support such people so that we can be co-workers in the truth. Now, back in John's time, right, traveling ministers, people who were sharing the gospel, they couldn't just pull out their phones and get on the Airbnb app. They hadn't created that app yet in John's time, right? Or phones in general. <laughs> and so back in that day, if you were traveling, if you were sharing the gospel, you were dependent on the hospitality of other people. You couldn't just like go to Burger King and then check in at the Motel 6. You had to know people in that area or have someone send a letter on your behalf or, or just ask around, are there any Christians around here? And so Christian teachers would travel and they would stay with other Christians and people would feed them and give them the things that they need, maybe even give them money to send them on their way in a way that honored God, right? They depended on hospitality. Now, it, it seems like from what John wrote, that Gaius was known for his hospitality. He was a very hospitable person. John says he was acting faithfully. He would let ministers stay in his home even when these people were strangers. Now listen, we have to be careful with that. 
Just because the Bible says that Gaius let people into his home, we also need to use wisdom. If you're in this room and you're married and you have you know, kids or you have a 16-year-old daughter or something like that, you just shouldn't be bringing in random people into your home, right? That's just not a safe thing to do. But if you pray about it, if you know people's reputation and, and we wanna do favors for people or show hospitality, we should do that, we should be generous. But we have to be wise about how we help other people. You wanna know a scripture in the Bible that has absolutely transformed my life? The Bible says to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Isn't that poetic and beautiful? Wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove, right? We should be wise, but we should also be gentle and soft and hospitable. It's a balance of the two. But we need to know this, generosity is a trademark of the follower of Jesus. It is a trademark of a Christian. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, whoever sows generously reaps generously. Can I be a jerk for a second? The reason why some of you in this room have not been blessed more financially is because you've never blessed anyone else financially. God can't trust you with money because he knows you're just gonna hoard it all for yourself. But those who are generous with their finances, God has a way to kind of bless those people. And I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel. I'm gonna give one and get two back. That's not what I'm saying. But if we're faithful and if we're generous with what we have, it's funny, people who, who faithfully give to the church and faithfully give to nonprofits and faithfully help out their neighbors, out of nowhere, they seem to always have their needs met because God is good and God is faithful. And when we sow generosity, we reap generosity. Jesus also said it's better to give than to receive. It is better to give things away than to be taking things. So here's the thing. The true Christian understands that God has been good to us and because God has been good to us, we're to be good to other people. Here's what we need to remember. Everything you have is only because the Lord has allowed you to have it. Well, Corey, I worked hard for it. Well, dude, God created your body, right? So like he wins every time. So all the things that we have, the house we have, even the children that we have, our marriage, everything we have is because God has been good to us and allowed us to have those things. So we're to hold those things with open hands, right? God is quick to give. He's also sometimes quick to take from us. And so we have to, to know that we are simply managing what belongs to God. We're just managing it for a while, okay? We're also called to meet the needs of others. Now, this doesn't mean that we rent a helicopter and just start throwing money out over the city. That's not a productive way of meeting the needs of the community. So the Bible tells us how to meet the needs of the community. First and foremost, we are told to help the needs of the people in the family of faith. So I know that some of you might not like this, but it's the Bible and you have to take it up with him, I guess. But the, the Bible says that we're to first and foremost help out Christians, so there should be no starving Christians, no homeless Christians. There should be people that we should be helping the people within the body first before we go outside of the body, right? That we're to help our own family first, and then as we have opportunity, go outside of that. The Bible also says that we should help widows and orphans. Now, it's not just exclusively women and children. What that means is people that cannot help themselves. Orphans cannot work and make their own living and, and go rent an apartment. They can't do that. So we adopt orphans. We help orphans. 
widows who may be older in age and their husband has passed away and maybe they need help doing stuff for their yard or they even need financial help. We are to help those that are unable to help themselves. The next thing though, we are not to help people who don't wanna change. This is very unpopular and I know some of you won't like this, but again, it's not me, it's, it's God. It says in Thessalonians that if a man doesn't wanna work, they shouldn't be allowed to eat. Now I know that's harsh. I didn't write it. So what that means is this, Travis that works at this church, he gets benevolence requests all the time, right? Day in, day out. People come in, they fill out papers and some of them are legitimate and some of them are not legitimate. And so here's the thing, the church is not responsible for meeting people's wants. The church is responsible for helping people in their needs. So sometimes people will come and they'll fill out a thing and Travis will sit down, okay, tell me about your finances. Let's do a budget. Let's, let's kind of see what the situation is. And if someone wants the church to pay their electric bill, that's a hundred bucks, but they have a cable bill that's 200 bucks, we say, heck no, right? Cut the cable, pay your electric bill, right? That's not a good steward of your money. We'll help you budget. We'll put you through Dave Ramsey's classes. We'll do all this kind of stuff, but it is not the church's responsibility to feed bad behavior. It's not our responsibility. We help those in need. And if someone says, well, we just don't wanna work, I'm like, that's gonna suck not eating, right? Just to like paraphrase the scripture there. <laughs> Jesus said it like this, because he's more eloquent than I. Jesus, <laughs> someone amen that. That was good, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus said, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. Some of your translations may say immigrant. That's another topic for another day. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Wait a second, that person's in that position because they messed up. You're absolutely right. And Jesus said, show them grace go to the prisons and visit the people who've even done atrocious things because even the worst of us need another chance to accept the gospel and have Jesus turn your life around. Amen. That we are to reach out to other people, right? <laughs> Jesus said that when you do this for other people, you are doing it for him. That it blesses God when we do that. And all of our good deeds should ultimately be deflected back up to Christ. Our generosity to other Christians, when we help other people that are non-Christians, the gospel in Jesus Christ should always be the center. When we're generous to other believers, we deflect those compliments, right? For instance, people will send me emails all the time and I literally have nothing to do with it. They'll say, thank you so much. You know, like we, you know, we were struggling to make ends meet and the, the church helped us not to get foreclosed on, on, our, on our house or nonprofits will send us stuff. You know, like you helped us with this and I remember when the, the roof of the Salvation Army ripped up, this church wrote a check and saved five people's jobs there because they didn't have to get laid off and people would send us stuff. And, and so whenever they do that, A, I'm not even in charge of benevolence. So I said, that wasn't me, but I say, praise God that we, we, we're in a church where people give and they're, they're, they wanna help other people out. Praise God that God has blessed us with the finances that we can do these things. Deflect that praise back to Jesus, right? When we help non-believers, we need to go the full distance and tell them why we are helping them, right? So it's not enough just to give them food because they're hungry. Why would you do this? Because Jesus Christ has loved me and saved me and Jesus Christ loves you and wants to save you too. Here you go, brother. Here you go, sister. 
We need to go the full extent and tell people why we do benevolent things because God is good and God loves all humanity. We need to share that. And when we do this, we are co-workers with the truth. So the traveling ministers back in this time, guys like Paul, right? They couldn't take money from non-Christians. They were told not to take money from non-Christians. And there's a lot of practical reasons for that. Let me give you an example in our day and age. This church has not and will never take government money. I don't want the government giving me money because I don't want the government telling me how to run a church. I like that separation. So we don't take money from non-believers, not saying that all people in the government are non-believers. Anyways, um, we're not to take money from non-believers because there's stipulations on that. It's not practical. But even further than that, there's a spiritual connotation to that. The reason why it's important that Christians fund Christian work is we get to be co-workers in that work. Let me tell you what I mean. Joel Bigelow, who comes to this church, started Endure Athletics. That's who we're sponsoring, right? He sits at the nine o'clock over here. I, he hates it when I talk about him. But Joel works with homeless children in your community. Now, I know not all of us can be there every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to minister to these kids. I know we can't always pick them up. I know we can't always throw a baseball with them and hang out with them. We can't. But what we can do is we can give money to that organization. And when we do, though we can't be present with Joel all the time, our finances go to pay for the baseball that they throw. It goes for the curriculum that helps those kids get through school. It goes to, to buying the vans that transport them around. It goes towards the ministry. So we get to be co-workers with Joel, right? Just like all of us can't be in Togo, Africa all the time, or maybe ever in our lives. But for $38 a month, we can sponsor a kid and they can get health care and they can get food and they can get an education for $38 a month. Everyone in this room can afford that. Well, Corey, I can't afford that. Text me that on your $1,200 phone. Just let that simmer for a second. Sorry. I was so impressed with myself at the nine when I said that. I was like, it's like, thanks, thanks God. You really gave me one there. That was, that was good. All right. John says, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have first place among them, does not receive our authority. This is why if I come, I will remind him of the works he is doing, slandering us with malicious words. And he is not satisfied with that. He not only refuses to welcome fellow believers, but he even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Everyone speaks well of Demetrius, even the truth itself. And we also speak well of him. And you know that our testimony is true. I have many things to write you, but I don't want to write you with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends send you greetings. Greet the friends by my name. So the second subject, the first one is Gaius. The second one is our friend Dio here. He's obviously not a very likable guy. 
It appears that he was involved in the same church as Gaius and somewhere high up there. Maybe he was even the leader of it. But John says that he loved being first. He loved getting all the attention. He loved having all the power. And it even goes so far to say he doesn't respect the authority of John, the person above him. He doesn't respect that. Now, here's the thing, and we need to remember this. This is a a great nugget that Jesus gave us. Jesus said, whoever is last will be first, and whoever is first will be last. What Jesus means by that is whenever we put ourselves above others all the time, eventually we're going to fall. Eventually, it is going to lead to self-destruction. So what we learn is this. God pushes away from prideful people. Prideful people will always fall and they will take others down with them. You don't wanna be around prideful people, right? They're dangerous to be around. And so that brings us to this. There are way too many of us that think way too much of ourselves. Our buddy Dio here was power hungry. He was arrogant. He thought he was worthy of receiving hospitality, but he was too good to serve in the church. Like many of us today, he thought he was above menial tasks and he thought he was above everyone else's authority. Now, let me tell you something. If you come to me, any of you in this room, man or woman, and you say, I believe God has called me to high level leadership in the church, pastoral leadership in the church. If you come to me and tell me that, I will probably offer you a job and it will probably be scrubbing the toilets in this church. Every young person that we have at this church that works on our janitorial staff has a call from God on their life to do high-level ministry. And the first thing we ask them to do is the lowliest job here at the church. And the reason why we do that is if you're too good to scrub the toilets at this church, God is never gonna make you a pastor worthy of anything. Ever, ever, ever. Because humility is the key. The book of Lamentation says, don't despise the days of small things. Because if you're not, if you can't handle the small things, God's never going to give you the big things. If we're not willing to work hard, if we're not willing to do the small things, if we're not willing to submit to authority, even when it's authority you don't 100% agree with, you will never succeed the way God wants you to succeed. It'll never happen. Without humility, God will do nothing with you. God pushes away from people who are prideful and arrogant and too good to do the hard tasks and the menial tasks. He won't do anything with you. I give you my word. The Bible supports that. So John wanted to deal with Dio in person, right? Because it had escalated to the point to where whoever this guy was, he was slandering, he was talking maliciously, and John said, I'm I'm not gonna deal with this over letter. I'm I'm gonna come out there and we're gonna talk face to face. I like what John says, I'm going to remind him of what he's been saying, right? John's gonna step kind of toe-to-toe with this guy and he's gonna talk truth to him. So not only was this Dio guy refusing fellow believers, he was turning traveling ministers away. Not only was he not showing hospitality, when people would show hospitality, he'd kick them out of the church. So when someone did come into town, like our buddy Demetrius that we just read about, if people supported Demetrius, Because Dio wasn't getting all the attention, he would kick him out. He would expel them from the church. So here's what we learn from this character. We learn that there are three things that will absolutely destroy the church. The first one is gossip. Listen, do you know when you slander other people? You know the word devil means slanderer? You cannot act more like the devil than when you're talking bad about other people. It's a sin. It's wrong, 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says that gossip will keep you from inheriting the kingdom of God. If you make gossip a part of your life, the Bible says you will not go to heaven. That's what it says. God hates gossip. It is destructive. It's wrong. It makes God angry. And the Christian should not gossip. We should not slander. Another thing that we learn from Dio is that we have to be hospitable. When we're not hospitable, it stifles the gospel. It stifles the gospel. What that means is this, the church is a place where all people are welcome. That doesn't mean that we condone all lifestyles. That doesn't mean that we condone the things that people are doing. But when the church starts setting a bar to where certain people, if they look a certain way or live a certain way, are not welcome into the church, how are people going to hear the life-changing, soul-saving gospel if we tell them that they're not welcome? But we hear how Christians sometimes talk. Man, did you see that? These two men were holding hands in service. Praise God they're here and praise God that they feel welcome. They need to hear the truth. They need to be treated with love and dignity. We don't have to agree with their lifestyle, but we have to love them and treat them like God loves them as well. All people are welcome into this place, regardless of what you wear. Did you see what she was wearing? She might need Jesus, right? Maybe she didn't have a father in her life. Maybe she didn't have a a, a good husband in her life. Maybe she was abused when she was a child. We don't know people's stories, but people need to be welcome in this place. We need to be hospitable, right? The third thing that will tear apart a church is when we hinder other people's spiritual growth. So Jesus was very stern about this. In fact, in the book of Mark, Jesus says, this is the Bible, Jesus says it is better to tie a stone around your neck and drown yourself than it is to hinder a child. Now, we often think that that's literally a child, and that, that does work, right? That when we, mis, uh, uh, when we misrepresent or when we, we, we abuse children, that that makes God exceptionally angry. That can also mean spiritual children. The 60-year-old man that just got saved, if we mislead them and if we hinder his spiritual growth, that makes God exceptionally angry. Again, it stifles the gospel and it stops the church from growing the way it should. So John says, don't imitate what is evil. The world and the way the world does things, we shouldn't imitate that. So if you're in here and you see all these actresses and actors and you wanna be them, they're all getting divorced. They're all taking antidepressants and they're suicidal and they're miserable and they have body image issues and all these things because the selfishness and the arrogance of the world is not what the Bible has told us to imitate. We're to be countercultural. We're to be countercultural because the ways of the world, the culture of the world, always fails. It, ultimately, it always fails. Selfishness and pride and being power hungry, all that leads us to a life of loneliness, a life of self destruction, a life of hurt, a life of broken relationships. It doesn't lead anywhere good. So John says, don't imitate that. Imitate what is good. Imitate what God wants you to be. And so now we're introduced to the, to the final character, Demetrius. John mentions his final character. Demetrius more than likely was a, a, a traveling speaker, a, a missionary, and he was probably the one carrying the letter. He probably hadn't read it. It was probably sealed, but he's just carrying the letter. He had a good reputation. It says that everyone thought really highly of him. He spoke the truth. And so I wonder, we don't know for sure. We're just, we're just guessing. But it seems like Dio didn't like Demetrius. He was turning him away, right? He didn't want to receive him. He didn't want to have anything to do with him. 
Now, more than likely, if we kind of know human nature, and it even happens in the church, is maybe Dio was, was not the speaker as good as, as Demetrius. Maybe people liked to hear Demetrius speak. Maybe he was very popular. Maybe he was younger and more attractive. Maybe he was more naturally gifted. All these different things. And so Dio was starting to see that, that if this guy comes into the picture, not everyone's going to be looking at me. They're not all going to be focused on me. So here's the question. Do we let our jealousy of others get in the way of God working? We do it in churches all the time. Churches compete with each other and pastors are competitive and we lose sight of the fact that we're all just trying to get people to heaven, right? It's not about what church is the biggest or who's the best speaker or who's the coolest or whatever the case may be. We're just trying to get everyone to look at Jesus Christ. But sometimes we do that, right? See these moms who are jealous of their daughters and try to be prettier than their daughters and you see these husbands and these men who are jealous of how talented their sons are so they suppress them and all oh, this crazy. We should want people who come after us to excel beyond us. You older people in this room who are always talking terrible about this generation, who in the heck raised them? And shouldn't we not only hold a little bit of responsibility, but shouldn't we want to pour into the generation coming after us so hopefully they will propel and do something better than us? Do you guys know Jesus even did this? I'm going to correct some of your bad theology real quick. A lot of people on the kind of hyper-charismatic realm, they really misuse the scripture and get it way out of context. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you're going to do bigger things than me. Now, in the hyper-charismatic world, they say, we're going to do bigger miracles than Jesus. Now, listen, Jesus was murdered and resurrected himself from the dead. You're not going to top that. Not to mention that his resurrection saved mankind. No way to beat that miracle. You're not going to do anything better than that. Jesus wasn't referring to miracles. Jesus was referring to geography. Jesus said, I just ministered in this little area called Israel. He goes, my followers, my children, you're going to go out to the entire globe and change the world. You're going to do bigger things than me. I was focused on this little spot. You're going to take the, the, the message that saves souls to the entire globe. We should want those who come after us to excel beyond us. Not be jealous of them. So John writes a farewell, much like 2 John, which is called a, a sister letter of this, very, very similar. He says, I don't just want to write things with pen and ink. I want to come and I want to see you face to face. And notice how much he loves them, right? You see how deep their relationship is. He says, you know, peace to you. And he says, hey, tell everyone I said hi, right? Greet them in my name. Hey, everyone, John says hi. He wanted to see them again. He longed for them because he cared for them. Okay, let's take a little assessment here. Let's uh, look at ourselves. Let's be honest. Let's see how we do with this. The first thing is this. Do we follow the commands of Christ? Do you know the commands of Christ? Do you know the Ten Commandments? Do you know what the gospel says, how we're to live? Have you read Romans and 1 Corinthians and Ephesians? Books like that, right? None of it's overtly hard to understand. But do we follow the commands of Christ? Do you follow the commands of Christ even when no one is looking? When you're filling out your tax information at two o'clock in the morning when your laptop's open, when no one's going to see you at work taking things, do we follow the commands of Christ even when no one's looking? 
Are we obedient to God, right? It's a good question, one that we should, we should ask often. Are we following the commands of God? Are we generous? I don't know if you give to this church or not, but I know that tithing will bless you. I know it will change your heart. I know that God is faithful. When we're faithful financially, I think God meets our needs. Do you give to the church? Do you give to nonprofits? Do you give to things like Endure Athletics and Mentor Leaders and Greenhouse Ministries and Portico and all these different things? Listen, if you send me a bunch of anti-abortion emails but you've never given a dime to Portico, I don't want your emails. I don't want them. Send some money to the Pregnancy Support Center here in town. Actually do something about it, right? Put your money where your mouth is. I got a fun email this last week. My assistant, Jonathan, wouldn't even let me read it. It was one of those emails, you know, it's like, you know, and it started off, the guy compared me to King Saul. <laughs> all right, this is gonna be a good one, right? I didn't even get to read it all. King Saul was a bad king, by the way. And this guy opened up, he lives in another state and He's never been here. We've never met each other, but he, he saw one sermon and happened to be the sermon where I talked about going to the, uh, the Satanic Temple in New England. And he wrote this whole long thing about how he hopes I find humility and repentance and he doesn't want any of his money ever given to something like that. And so I asked Jonathan before I knew he had already responded. I said, hey, we never look at financial records, but can you look up this guy and see if he's ever given anything? Comes back, he's never given a dime, right? So I said, Jonathan, reply to him and tell him we'll give him a 100% refund on all the money he's given to the church. <laughs> John, Jonathan's a little bit more Christian than I am. He had already responded in a nice diplomatic way, right? Sorry you feel like that. We love you, blah, 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 all this stuff. But you know what I've found out over the years? It's the people who give the least or not at all that usually complain the most. I heard an old saying one time, it's hard to constantly rock the boat when you're rowing it. <laughs> Are you generous? Do you give to people? Is it a priority to give? The Christian is called to be generous, to help others in need. What do we do with our time? We have a lot of people who come in and they're just like, well, man, I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to pray. And so what we started doing with a lot of people is we'll do like a time block of people's week. And after we block out every single hour of people's week, we're like, dude, you got six hours a day to kill. What the heck are you doing with that, right? Look, if you just spend 30 minutes reading your Bible and praying, you'll still have five and a half hours to watch Stranger Things. <laughs> Look at that. And you prayed for 30 minutes. So there's so many people, we have all this time. What are we investing in? Are we investing in things that are eternal? Are you spending time with your kids? Do you, I hope you do that, right? Man, I thoroughly believe that everyone needs to hop in a car every once in a while, turn on some 80s rock and just go driving with your kids, right? You need to go get some junk food with your kids. You need to take your kids to the movies. You need to get out of the house. You need to spend some time with your family. Invest in something that you're gonna be thinking about 30 years from now, 40 years from now. Pray with your children. Pray with your spouse. Teach your kids to fall in love with the Bible. Buy them an action Bible. My daughter has read that action Bible, the graphic novel version of the Bible, probably six times. Buy them that stuff. Invest in things that are eternal. Use your time wisely. This is something you will never get back. You have one shot to raise your kids. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with your time? What are you investing in? 
How do you talk about people? How do you speak of people when they're not around, right? Do you gossip? Do you slander? Do you slip in that gossip in the, in the form of a prayer request in your small group? Hey, pray for so-and-so because uh, her husband just cheated on her. It's not a prayer request. That's you trying to get in some sinful gossip into your small group. That's not okay, man. Speak well of people. Lift people up with your words. Your words can cut people down or they can build people up. How do you talk about people? On the flip side of that, how do people talk about you? Well, Corey, I don't care about my reputation. Well, you should. The Bible says that we should have a good reputation, especially with those who are non-believers. What does that mean? At your job, you should be the hardest worker there. If everyone knows you as a Christian and you're lazy, you are not representing Christ well. You're not representing the church well. If you're a student and you're smart enough to make an A, but you make Ds and Fs, you're not honoring God. That is not what we should do. We should do all things to the best of our abilities for the glory of God. What do people say about you? Do you live in such a way to where people look at you and they're like, man, I don't, I don't, I don't know exactly what it is, but I want what he has. I want what she has. She always has a good attitude. She is always working hard. She always goes the extra mile and she's always just good around people. And like, you want to have that reputation. As Christians, listen, if we have a bad reputation, why in the world would you follow a God of the person that has the worst attitude ever? Well, if that's what being a Christian makes you, I don't wanna be that, right? Have a good reputation, especially with non-believers. Are we pouring into people who are coming up after us? Do you want your kids to be smarter than you? Do you want the generation coming after you to excel beyond what we've done? Instead of constantly criticizing the generation after you, pour into the generation after you. We have a whole generation coming up that are fatherless, right? They don't have dads in their lives. I'm, I'm one of those. I don't have a dad in my life. So you have all these young men and young women coming up who've never had that strong male figure in their life. So some of you men need to step up to the plate. Some of you need to stop focusing so much on yourself and start pouring that knowledge and those years of experience into the people younger than you, below you, right? Pour down into them. Or are we like our buddy Dio here, who always wants to be first, who is so concerned about being first they get jealous of other people when other people get attention. Are we the person that just always wants all the things to come to us? We want everything. We want control. We're arrogant. We're self-centered. It's not what we're supposed to be. The last question is this, and guys, all week this question has been in the back of my mind, and maybe it'll resonate with you. Maybe it won't. Maybe, maybe you're just hitting home runs all the time. But I was sitting in my office and I was thinking about my two little girls and my wife and this church and everything around me in this question. Do we understand that we only get one shot at life? If you, I almost said a bad word there. If you do a poor job of raising your children and they hit 18 and they run buck wild and go nuts, you can't hit pause and go back in time and redo it. You get one shot with those kids, one shot. We only get this day. We're not promised tomorrow. Did you know the Bible says that? You're not promised tomorrow? In 2017, I did 14 funerals in 2017. 14. Over half of those funerals that I did in 2017 
were people under the age of 30 years old. People who thought they had a whole lifetime. But the Bible says that life is like a vapor. It comes out and then just dissipates. We're not promised longevity. So we keep putting off things for tomorrow that we should be taking care of today. Why would you wait another day to spend some quality time with your kids? Why would you wait another day to, to, to pray? Pray today. Why would you wait until another time to read the word of God? Read the word of God every day. Invest in your marriage. Invest in your neighbors. Invest in things that will last forever and ever and ever. So I'll ask you one more time. What do you do with your money? What do you do with it, right? Have all these people that tell me that, oh, man, I can't afford to tithe, live in a half million dollar house and drive a $40,000 car, but I can't tithe. Really? God forbid you might have to drive a $30,000 car. What do you do with your money? Do you know there are kids, not only in other parts of the world, there are kids in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, who bounce from motel to motel, seeing and being experiencing God knows what. And the church builds these million-dollar buildings, right? And you have all these Christians that have more than they ever need. And we have homeless kids in our community that are going without. Hey, but I hope that new phone's worth it, right? I hope the car's worth it. I hope those things are worth it. What do we do with our money? What do, our do, what, do we do, what do we do with our finances? What do we do with our time? What are we doing with our health? I'm not saying we all have to have like six packs and be bench pressing cars, but like we should take care of ourselves and not just for ourselves, not for vanity, but I wanna be able to run with my children. I wanna be able to hang out with them. Take care of yourself. What are we doing with our talents and abilities? Some of you, God has made wonderful artists some of you, God has given you leadership abilities. Some have given you strong backs to where you can do the work in the church. Some of you, God has blessed financially so you can have more time to do things. What are you doing with the talents and abilities that God has given you? There's even a parable about that that Jesus told, right? The person that buried his talents and was rebuked. What are we doing with the things that God has given us? We get one shot, one shot, one shot. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you're in this room and maybe you're not a believer, right? Maybe you're not a Christian, came in here because you were curious. If you have any questions, Greg is up here to my right, your left. Glasses, striped shirt. He's one of our pastors here. If you have any questions you'd like to ask Greg, he's not gonna embarrass you or put you on the spot or make you repeat anything, no, nothing like that. But if you, wanna, if you wanna talk to him, Greg's up here, he'd love to talk with you. We also have men and women up here at the front to pray with you. If you have anything you need prayer with, please don't go alone through this. It can be a financial need or a job situation or a health need or a lost loved one, whatever it can be. Please come up here and join with someone, pray with someone. The last thing is this, we have communion all the way around this room. Now listen, though we only get one shot at this life, God is gracious and he's loving and he can restore things that we have squandered. The first 23 years of my life were a waste. I was selfish, 
I was destructive, did not live my life for the right things. But when I gave my life to Christ, he redeemed those things. He healed those wounds. He's given me almost 20 great years of walking with him. God's been very faithful. For those of us who haven't been the parents that we need to be or the stewards of the gifts that God has given us, for those of us who might have ruined a marriage or two marriages or three marriages, for those of us who've made mistakes, God is faithful to forgive and he is faithful to restore. But we must be honest and we must be humble. If we are not humble, if we are not humble enough to come in front of God and say, God, I've been wrong, help me. If we're not humble, he can do nothing with us. So all around this room is communion. Represents the fact that Jesus died because he loves us. That he shed his blood for us. He has filled us with his Holy Spirit, which empowers us to be what God wants us to be. You can be the woman that God wants you to be. You can be the man that God wants you to be, the student, the parent, the spouse, the employee, whatever the case may be. You can be it because the Holy Spirit of God empowers us to live a life better than what we can live without God. Everyone is welcome to take communion as long as you've asked God to forgive you of your sins and trust that the Lord will help you if you'll just cry out to him. Father, Lord, we love you. God, I love this church, Lord. I love the men and women in this room. Father, humble us, speak to us. Let us be honest, God. And if we have not followed you or if we haven't been generous or hospitable or if we've lived our lives for ourselves and not for you and for others, God, Lord, forgive us and put us on the right track and restore, God, the things that maybe we've squandered or lost. Help us, Father, to live the lives that honor you and Bless those around us, God. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Keep my friends in this room safe until we meet again. We pray all these things in your son's name, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you.